0: I can enjoy Mm -hmm. it. A couple of weeks back, I was riding the 83 bus down Jones Avenue, which I almost never do, but my carpool ride at work was out sick, and I was meeting the wife for our standing Taco Tuesday date at Hitch on Queen Street East. Just about nothing in that sentence would have made a lick of sense to me twenty, fifteen, a dozen years ago. Looking out the bus window on an early March evening, I could occasionally see my own reflection, a middle-aged man in a and scarf wearing his new reading glasses. Graduated, they call them, but as bifocal as my moms ever were back in the day, and sporting six months of unchecked facial hair aggression, more salt than pepper. I'm fine with all of that. I'm not 25 or 35 anymore, and I don't care to pretend that I look like I am. But, of course, I had just texted my wife to say I was five minutes away, just off the bus and walking east, when I passed the Purple Pearl, and something caught my eye. Someone. A dark-haired woman sitting on a bench in the window, knitting and chatting with another woman next to her. I didn't break my stride as we made eye contact for the smallest moment, but two steps out of range I stopped and sighed. I circled back and retraced my steps, pretending I was looking for a streetcar. Then I got another look. It was... the X. The heart speeds up a little bit. Adrenaline does its thing. But why? This person posed no threat to me, ever. So nature's fight-or-flight instinct seemed uncalled for here. I resolved to at least catch her eye and give a little smile and a wave and be on my way, but the Purple Pearl, a knitting emporium that holds classes, too, was filled with knitters, all women, save for one man, and this happened to be International Women's Day. Tapping on the window seemed ill-advised, so I stood outside a couple of feet from her, separated by a frosty pane, and looked at her, expecting to catch her eye. I tried telepathy, and a mesmeric stare. Look out the window. Look out the window. But she would not. After what must have been five minutes, I pulled out my phone and let it light up, pretended to look at it a bit, and then finally just waved it so that she could ignore me no longer. She was appropriately startled, and I smiled and nodded, and I mimed something like, you doing okay? And she responded with something longer, and and it all went to hell, because I said, "I, I can't hear you. And she looked annoyed and asked if I was coming in, and I mimed, no, like that was a ridiculous idea. So she put down her needles and put on her coat and came outside. The last time that we had spent any time together was 16 years earlier. She had been in Toronto for a couple of years by then, and I was in town from Montreal for a weekend, and we met downtown and walked all over and saw Gladiator at the Paramount. And it became clear over the day that we were never going to be what we once were to each other. I escorted her home that night on a queen car going further east in Toronto than I had ever been before. It would have passed by the spot where we now stood. I think I tried too hard to be funny or charming, I don't know what. It's a weird thing because... This was someone who had once known me as well as anyone ever had, and if that's not an easy thing now, it must have been awful when I was in my early 20s. But this felt like a blind date of sorts, and it threw me off balance. I wish I could go back and redo it and just breathe and be still and really engage in a conversation with her. But, well, after sixteen years and no warning, that's what you get. And I imagine it was similar for her. Well, I know it was, because after five minutes of small talk about the neighborhood, she pulled her right hand out of her coat pocket and said, I'm shaking, which I appreciated and nearly found flattering, that I at least could still matter in the littlest way, until she said she didn't know how it would go when she came out the door. Wait, what? I wondered, did she mean she thought I could be any kind of a threat? Flashes of our old fights in my head. The words I would regret saying and writing. The charmer on the blind date ringing as hollow and flat as a broken bell. I think I stammered something like, why wouldn't it be okay we did email a few times a few years ago, until we didn't. And she agreed, but said, I I think you unfriended me on Facebook. I said, no, 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 we were never friends on Facebook. Really? Yeah. I sent you a Happy New Year's message in '07, but we didn't. And I could say all this with such certainty because one of the reasons I had decided on Toronto after my time in New York was I knew she was there. And I learned just before the move that she was now married. But I went through with it anyway. I had other reasons to move to Toronto, but I was pretty sure I didn't want to be friends on Facebook and have an open window into that part of her life. Still, when I moved to Toronto ten years ago, I only knew one person in town and spent an inordinate amount of time on foot looking for work, trying not to spend money, and expecting to see her around every corner, bracing myself for the sight of her and her husband, maybe a family. But I never did. And one makes friends and loses them and takes jobs and comes and goes and meets someone and creates a home, a family of one's own, as years pass. It came up that I was married myself, and she congratulated me and asked since when, and I don't know if it surprised her. Starting a family and being married was a big issue between us, and here we stood a quarter century after we had begun our run, She having her boys, now 7 and 11, and me, well, with a dog and a cat. But I feed them, all right, so. And I mentioned we live on a little street in the east, um, Rhodes Avenue, and... Excuse me, she said. Rhodes. You know it? She sure did. She'd been living on Rhodes Avenue for a dozen years. For the past six years, we've been living on the same road less than two kilometers apart. I swear I didn't know, I told her. I think she believed me. Anyway, we had to go our separate ways, and there was a little hug and a good to see you before I went to tell my wife and our friends the tale over tacos and beer. She never commented on my silver beard, and I noticed how little she had changed, maybe a gray hair or two. We had been together seven years in our twenties, very formative times, and we went through a lot together. I think I can say this was our first love. My wife asked me how I felt about it all, and what can one say it was bittersweet and a little sad. I long ago stopped hoping for any reconciliation, but I do still mourn the loss of so deep a friendship. I measured every relationship after hours against it. I'm also keenly aware of every misstep I took when we were together, and we might have even patched it up a couple of years after the split, but I blew it. There are no rose-colored glasses here, but I also think that she is happier now than she would have been with me, so I am content to let that go. Only yesterday I was reminded of an old LP I had in my one-room apartment when I was finishing my theater degree in Montreal, the summer of 1990. That's when we started dating. We had a few records we would listen to, but one favorite was an old Paul Simon one. He sang about a couple that marries and moves into a musty old place where they share a cold all winter long. The man finds her a rug in an old junk shop, the colors bleeding in the rain as he tries to get it home. Even then we were touched by the story of people who do everything for the love of the other. But I couldn't have known then that the album's title track would resonate so much more a quarter century later, in front of a knitting store in Toronto, as the queen cars ambled past. I met my old lover on the street last night she seems so glad to see me, I just smile And we talked about some old times And we drank ourselves some beers Still crazy after all Pretty much. Episode 60, After All These Years. Written and read by Scott Clarkson. Music by Paul Simon and Garner Firebird.